All right, our second reading this morning is from Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses uh, 8 through 15. Hear the word of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be present with us in the proclamation of your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you all know, of course, that Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was the first person killed because he was bearing witness to Christ. And we all know the word martyr and we all know the word witness, but are we aware that the Greek word for witness is martyr? Our English word for the person who dies for his faith comes from the Greek word for a witness. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the word in the original Greek for witnesses, martyres, or martyr, is where we get our word martyr in English. You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem. And in all of Judea and Samaria. Now, not everyone who bears witness gets killed for it, thank God. But sometimes getting killed is a very powerful witness. Public executions were common in the ancient Roman world. And the peace and the coolness with which Christians regularly went to their death caused the pagans to stop and notice, to think twice about what they were doing. A number of pagan writers during that period comment on the Christian martyrs in a way that is clearly admiring. Stephen wasn't the first Christian witness, but he was the first Christian martyr. His death is recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. We'll get to that in a week or two, maybe three, but this morning... Before Stephen actually is stoned to death, and before we take a look at what the reaction of people's uh, preaching is, I want to take a look at his witness and at what made his witness 
possible. And then I want us to reflect for a few moments about our own witness. In the Christian context, what does it mean to bear witness? What does it mean to testify as a Christian? Both of these words, of course, have their origin in the courts of law. You might be called to testify in a court case. You might be called as a witness at a trial. But what do we testify about and what do we bear witness to as a Christian? We, of course, can only testify and bear witness to things that we've seen or heard ourselves. We can only testify to things that we have known firsthand. Everything else would just be hearsay, which, of course, is inadmissible in a court. Charlene Crawford is applying uh, to a graduate program for educational leadership, and the folks at the university sent me a form to fill out. They wanted to know what I know about Charlene, and they had this whole bunch of questions that I was supposed to answer. Now, some of those questions I could answer because they were about things that I had seen or heard Charlene do. But other questions I couldn't answer because they were about what Charlene does in her classroom, and I've never been in Charlene's classroom while she's teaching, and so I had to say, I don't know. I've seen Charlene do wonderful things, but how do I evaluate her uh, instructional methodology? I have no idea. First of all, I don't know the first thing about instructional methodology. And second, I've never been in a classroom while Charlene is teaching. And so I bore witness to, I testified to what I knew, what I had seen and what I had heard firsthand about Charlene with my own eyes and ears. That's what it is to be a witness. That's what it means to testify. Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses. Well, that simply means that it was their job to tell other people what they saw Jesus do and what they heard Jesus say. The disciples had been with Jesus for three years and their job was to simply tell other people about that experience. That's what it means to be a witness. Now, when we witness about Jesus, when we testify about Jesus, we don't do that alone. The Holy Spirit actually goes with us. The words come out of our mouth, but the Holy Spirit is the one who provides the words, and the Holy Spirit directs the words so that they hit their mark. Jesus was teaching in the temple in Jerusalem one day when he told his followers that the day would come when they would be hauled before authorities in the synagogue and in the civil government. And he said, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now, the first thing I want to say about that passage, which... Um, Joan read for us, actually in a different translation, a little bit earlier. First thing I want to say about that passage is that that passage does not mean that a pastor or that a teacher in a Sunday school should not prepare his sermon or his lesson before it's time to give it. Some people, people who've never preached, think that a preacher just stands up and starts talking. That's not how it happens. There's preparation that goes in, there's prayer, there's the searching of Scripture. 
In this passage, Jesus, in the Luke passage, Luke 21 passage, Jesus is talking about a very special case. A case of Christians being hauled into the courts to answer legal charges uh, in front of people who are in authority. This is what's going to happen to Stephen in chapter 7, so keep that in mind. Stephen wasn't preaching when he was answering the charges. He was giving a speech, he was giving a legal defense, and Jesus here is talking about a legal defense. Preaching is speaking the word of God to the people of God. But in both of these cases, in a legal defense in a court of law and in preaching to the people of God, what is clear is is that Jesus is the one who gives the words to the speaker. Now maybe you've had that experience in your life. You've had a chance encounter with someone who's receptive to the word of God. And in that moment, God gave you the words to speak to that person. You didn't have a speech prepared You hadn't practiced something. You just spoke from your Jesus-filled heart and the words rang true and the words flew and struck their mark. In preaching week to week, I spend quite a number of hours poring over the text and comparing it with other parts of Scripture and uh, meditating on it and listening for God's leading, uh, trusting that God is going to give me the words that we as a congregation need to hear uh, based on that Scripture text of the day. The words that I'm preaching this morning were written on Wednesday and Thursday of this past week. Now, those words written on Wednesday and Thursday are inspired. But their inspiration took place last week. And that inspiration rests upon the inspiration of the original words of Scripture which were inspired centuries ago. What's important to recognize is that in witnessing, in uh, giving a testimony, it is God who actually provides the words. It is only the Word of God that converts people. Which is what makes a difference, by the way, between a motivational speaker and a preacher. A motivational speaker delivers human wisdom that can energize a crowd, that can get it moving, but a preacher delivers the Word of God which has the power to convert people, which has the power to move someone from life, from death to life, which has the power to open up the gates of heaven for people. Motivational speakers can't do that, but the simplest person speaking the Word of God can. The words come from God. Now, in the apostolic era, which uh, we're reading about in the Acts of the Apostles, the preaching of the Word of God also came with a number of supernatural manifestations. The Bible typically calls them signs and wonders. Today we would call them miracles. In Acts 6, 8, we read, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Grace, power, wonders and signs. Each one of those things actually comes from God, and all of those things during the apostolic era accompanied the preaching of the Word of God on a regular basis. Grace, power, wonders and signs, all coming from God. Grace, the word in Greek is charis. It means gift. It's where we get the word charismatic. 
This is the term used generally for all of the special gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. That might be healing, that might be tongues, that might be prophecy, that might be the ability to discern spirits. Stephen was full of grace, power, the word in Greek is dunamis, that is where we get our word dynamite. One of the common observations about people in the apostolic era is that they spoke with power. They had a kind of boldness in their preaching that surprised people. They spoke with power. The apostles, however, were not powerful people. They didn't come from powerful families. They were from rather humble circumstances, actually. And they lived in a society that told poor people where they belonged and told poor people to stay in their place. And yet, here were these poor, uneducated men speaking with power to people who had earthly power. And people noticed. Earlier this year, I was reading a speech that Frederick Douglass had delivered in 1852, which is before this church was founded, to the Rochester Ladies Anti-Slavery Society. So there's Frederick Douglass, and he's an escaped slave. And he's living in a nation where slavery is still legal, a country where at any moment he could be kidnapped, hauled south, and sold again as a slave. So there's Frederick Douglass standing in front of this very large crowd of well-dressed, well-educated, well-heeled women, and he delivers this blistering speech, a speech that was not well-received by the audience because it was not fawning or congratulatory of the ladies and their high-minded efforts. And the hair stood up on the back of my neck as I was reading this speech, and I thought, wow, what power! This man has, where does a man get that kind of courage? The preaching of the word of God is accompanied by power, by dunamis, the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen had that power. In a couple of weeks, we'll actually dig into the speech that he delivers there in front of the Sanhedrin. And you're going to be amazed. Wonders and signs. Stephen was also performing wonders and signs by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wonders is just an old-fashioned word for miracles, and signs are miracles that point to something else. In this case, they point to Jesus. And what we should notice here is that this is the first time in Scripture that we have an account of someone other than an apostle performing miracles. Okay, So Stephen is not only the first martyr of the church. He's also the first non-apostle to perform miracles in the name of Jesus. The apostles were performing signs and wonders. They were healing and doing things like that. But Stephen is the first Christian recorded who's not an apostle, but whom God chooses to use to perform signs and wonders. So Stephen bears witness. And he bore witness using words that had been given to him by God He didn't preach human wisdom or human philosophy. He bore witness to what he had seen and heard from Jesus, and he bore witness to the Word of God. His witness was accompanied by these signs and wonders, signs and wonders that certainly got people's attention. But those signs and wonders weren't 100% necessary to his preaching. Witnessing today can be perfectly effective without signs and wonders. You don't have to heal 
cancer in order to lead someone to Christ. Stephen's witness was accompanied by grace and power. And we can have the grace and the power that Stephen had in the exact same measure that he had it. Because when we were born again, we received the Holy Spirit. We have God's grace. We have God's charism, which means that if you are born again, you are also charismatic, even if you don't know that yet, because you have received this grace from God. Paul writes, God gave a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. Other translations of that passage say timidity or cowardice instead of fear. Christians are meek, but we are not timid. Christians are forgiving and long-suffering, but we are not cowards. People uh, who follow Christ have received the Holy Spirit, and with that power, they receive love and self-control as well. So let me ask, I think the question that this passage prompts uh, for us is, why is it that sometimes our witness is not as powerful as Stephen's? I'm looking forward to reading Stephen's speech in the in the coming weeks. And I, I by the way, would encourage you to go ahead and read uh, Acts chapter 7 uh, before we actually get into preaching it. Um, have that in the back of your mind. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, a bit of testimony there. But I think for us, the, the question to ask is, why is our witness not as powerful as Stephen's? A lot of Christians are intimidated by witnessing. Lots of Christians are scared to death to testify to Jesus. Why is that the case? And what can we do about it? All of us uh, have people in our lives that we would love to see uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that we pray about regularly here. And we need to continue to pray by name for individuals that we would like to see uh, come to faith. Not many of us or certainly not most of us, are satisfied, however, with our efforts at witnessing to others. So I want to just suggest three things here that Scripture uh, tells us about our own witness. Number one, not everyone has ears to hear the gospel yet. Number two, we only bear witness to what we know personally And number three, we need to be prepared. So let me start with the first one. Not everyone has ears to hear the gospel yet. There was no better preacher than Jesus. Nobody knew more than Jesus. No one spoke more beautifully than Jesus. Nobody loved his listeners more than Jesus did. And yet thousands of people heard Jesus and walked away unchanged. Jesus often said, he who has ears, let him hear. Which is a way of saying that not everyone has ears yet. In Reformed theology, we talk about prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is grace that comes to us while we are still lost. While we are still sinners. Before we've been born again. 
Before you were born again, God was already working on you, getting you ready for that day when you could finally hear the gospel, when you finally had ears to hear, to understand, and to respond. You might have heard the word of God a hundred times before it finally came home to you personally and you said, I get it. I now see what's going on here. I'm a sinner. I need God's help. Not every person that you witness to is ready in this moment to hear the gospel. It may be years before they're ready. But the witnessing you do today, even if you never see that person come to faith in your lifetime, the witnessing that you do today is one baby step along the way to their conversion. When I was farthest away from God during my late 20s, while I was in graduate school, living a life of sin, cut off from God, I was walking across Central Park in Manhattan, and a man came up to me and asked me if I wanted to go to church. Now, this was a very non-typical New York conversation. I said no, but his invitation stuck with me and was one of the baby steps in my life to coming back to God. That man will never know how important his little bit of boldness was to me, but I can testify to that today. That man helped lead me back to Christ. At that moment, I didn't have ears to hear. Yet. Number two, we can only bear witness to what we know personally. Stephen and the apostles were bearing witness to events they had seen. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They had spent three years with Jesus and understood what those events meant theologically. And so when they are telling other people about Jesus, they're telling them about things that they know firsthand. It's like when... Something extraordinary happens to you at work and you come home and tell your family about it. It's easy to talk about because you experienced it firsthand. You saw it and heard it yourself. Now the historical events of the Bible, you and I have not witnessed firsthand. We know about them from reliable witnesses. We accept the testimony of of the apostles. But what we do know firsthand is what has happened in our lives. Every Christian has a faith story. Every Christian has an experience of life before Christ and life after Christ. And that's a story that you can tell naturally because it's your story and you experienced it and people will be interested and people will believe you because it's your story. We shouldn't think of witnessing or testifying as a game of proofs or a logical argument. To bear witness is to testify, to tell about what's happened to you. Now, there is a place for proof and arguments. That's called apologetics. That is important Christian work. But even if you aren't a trained Christian apologist like C.S. Lewis or R.C. Sproul... You are still a Christian, and you have your own faith story. 
And you can bear witness to that. You can testify to what Christ has done for you, to how your life has changed. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the blind man who's healed by Jesus. And then uh, this man is then questioned by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees don't like Jesus, of course. They're accusing Jesus of being a sinner, of not keeping the Sabbath. And they ask this poor man who's been blind a whole bunch of theological questions. And finally, this healed man blurts out in exasperation, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's his testimony. Who can argue with it? He bears witness to his experience. He doesn't get bogged down in some theological debate about Jesus. He simply testifies to what he knows. We can only bear witness to what we know personally, and we can all do that. Number three, we need to be prepared. The Apostle Peter writes, this is 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We are disciples of Christ. We have been saved. We have been snatched out of the fire. We've been given a new life. We've been promised eternal life. We have been given a great gift. And with that great gift comes a responsibility. We are Christ's ambassadors. And we need to be prepared to give a gentle and respectful answer to people who ask about what's happened to us. You say that Jesus is the Son of God and and your Savior. What makes you say that? Are you saying that because I don't believe in Jesus that I'm in some kind of trouble even though I'm actually a good person? We need to give gentle and respectful answers to those kinds of questions. And sometimes that means we need to be honest enough to say, I don't know the answer to your question. Some questions are real stumpers. But we can bear witness to what we know personally. Because we carry the name of Christ, people will ask us about him. It's both a responsibility and a tremendous privilege. God will give us the words to speak. The Holy Spirit will guide and direct those words. And God will use our witnessing, our testifying to bring others into the family of God just as we were brought into the family of God. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that there have been saints who went before us who told us about you who told us the story of the cross and of your willingness to die for us. We thank you that by your prevenient grace, our hearts were prepared to receive that message. And we came to understand our need and turn to you. We thank you for giving us the faith that we need. Lord, I pray that you would uh, make us inclined to... Bear witness to what you've done in our lives with other people who are around us. I I pray that that wouldn't be for us an argument or a a philosophical debate. I I pray that that would be a simple sharing of, of the truth of what we've experienced in our own lives. And I pray that in this way that you will draw many 
to Christ. Lord, there are people who are attached to us this morning who do not yet confess you as Lord and Savior. And we grieve because of that. And we pray your mercy upon them and we ask that you would draw them to yourself even this day. Lord, hear us now as we name those people in the quiet of our hearts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.